Hello, everybody. We are brought to you today by Routine. When you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mainly from expelling vapors and sweating. What do you do first thing in the morning? Well, most people wake up, don't drink water, and they go straight for the caffeine. They drink coffee. And by doing so, you actually dehydrate yourself even more. So Morning Routine is a product that contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. They come in these little single serve packets, and they are part of every single morning for me. When I wake up, the first thing I do is grab my shaker bottle, pour one of these little single serve packets in, shake it up, and drink it. Uh, genuinely, the days I use morning routine versus the days I don't, the days I do, I truthfully, truthfully, truthfully feel hydrated. Uh, I feel like my brain is just working in a way that it doesn't on days that I don't start my day off with one of these. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. If you go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first order. Again, this is just a daily morning supplement that I take. Um, and a little hack for everyone listening too, I take these first thing in the morning. Sometimes when I feel just dehydrated or maybe if you decide to have an alcoholic beverage, they're also great in my opinion after having a, if you have a drink, um, having one of these afterwards before you go to bed to rehydrate, just any part of your day, um, you can plug one of these in uh, just to rehydrate yourself and get going. And like I said, go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout for 30% off your first order. Today, we're also brought to you by NeuroRoast. Today's episode is brought to you by NeuroRoast, a company that's dedicated to helping you optimize your brain function and overall well-being. NeuroRoast's flagship product is their premium mushroom coffee, which is made with an organic single-origin coffee and their signature blend of five different functional mushrooms, including cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, turkey tail, and chaga. Mushroom coffee is a new and exciting way to supercharge your day. Unlike regular coffee, which can cause jitters and crashes, mushroom coffee provides a more balanced and sustained energy boost, allowing you to stay focused and productive throughout the day. And with NeuroRoast ground and instant coffee options, you can enjoy the benefits of mushroom coffee wherever and whenever you need it. And here's some great news for my listeners today. NeuroRoast is offering an exclusive just discount just for you. If you use the code SHANEWHITE during checkout at neuroroast.com, dot com that's n-e-u-r-o-a-s-t dot com you'll get 30 percent off your order uh, whether you choose ground or instant coffee both will work so again that's shane white at at checkout for 30 percent off your purchase so if you're looking for a natural and delicious way to boost your focus memory and overall cognitive function give neurorose mushroom coffee a try with their commitment to quality and sustainability, you can trust that you're getting the best possible coffee for your brain and your body. Uh, and one last time, use that code Shane White at checkout to get 30%. Um, that is the prompt they gave me. Love the guys at NeuroRoast. Genuinely, folks, uh, from me to you, th their coffee is delicious. It does honestly have a different sort of caffeination way of it. The best way to describe it is it doesn't give you the jitters or the crash. Um, I love their stuff. It's the I get the flavored mushroom coffee, ground coffee. Um, to be honest, it's one of my favorite afternoon coffee products. 
uh, if I'm going to have a cup of coffee for some reason in the afternoon, whether it's a long, busy day, whatever it may be, um, I love taking their stuff because it really doesn't give you this like jittery, super elevated, caffeinated feeling, but you feel like you have energy and you don't have the crash later. So genuinely do love NeuroRoast. Again, their website is N-E-U-R-O-A-S-T dot com and the code is Shane. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening today. The episode is up after this. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. I am pumped today to have Derek Kesson on the podcast from On Center. Derek, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Shane, so good to be with you. I'm, uh, it's, I'm pumped to meet you. Shout out to Paul. If he's listening to this, he, he made the I'm intro. I'm sure he will. Yeah, I hope he'll he does. He'll definitely listen he... to it and he'll judge everything I said. I that's can't fine. Wait. That's fine. We'll get Paul <laughs> on here and then you can judge him back. <laughs> Perfect. That's how we work. That's how, that's our love language. Yeah, that's, that's a productive love language. I love it. Yeah. Um, for everyone listening who maybe doesn't know who you are, doesn't know what On Center is, would you mind just giving a quick intro background to that to start it off? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I'll start with me. Um, short intro. Um, I'm originally a small town kid, grew up in central Illinois. Um, best joke I always give there is we legitimately had bring your tractor to school day where I grew up. I think we got our first stoplight. I was in like maybe seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. Um, so Went to school for finance and econ, uh, moved up to Chicago. My dad is from Pilsen, a neighborhood on the southwest side of Chicago. And so moved up here, had always kind of wanted to live in the bigger city. So Chicago's big city for a small town kid um, and worked in trading for about 13 years, mm. um, helping community banks. So like the Main Street Banks, ABC Bank and Trust of your hometown, um, help them with their bond portfolio and um, asset liability position for about 13 years. So a couple wow. of banks across the U.S., and then so that's with a firm here in Chicago and then left in 2019 to found on center, uh, which is the company that I have the joy of leading today. So we are a middle market strategy organization. So we work with organizations, call it 10 million to 50 million. It's probably like our kind of sweet spot um, on the revenue side. And we like to work with pioneering organizations. So we like to work with people who are like moving fast, breaking stuff, building things that no one's ever built before. Um, and so we kind of like try to balance this, like, optimism um, of like doing things that have never been done before, but also with this really grounded, like, how are we going to get there and how are we going to do that? So we try to bring some of that clarity to people facing inflection points, change, all of that stuff is really hard. You have to, you're dealing with workforces of people, you're dealing with culture, um, you're dealing with different reporting structures and things like that. So that's our on-center team um, here in Chicago. We've worked with about 75 leaders, I think, in about 30 countries since we got started in 2019. Um, there's five of us here on the team plus an intern. So we've got six uh, with the intern Zach on the team. Um, it's been really good for the last almost four years. It'll be four years this month. Wow, congratulations. First of all, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, how did you, So to kind of go back to the, the, your zero to one story, which is what I love to dive into, um, how, how did you come up with, like, your trading, it sounds like you had a really good career. I'm sure you were doing well in that career. That's usually a career that people do pretty well in. Um, where did where did the kind of the the concept come from for On Center in general? Yeah, so I feel like I'm kind of the Swiss Army knife guy. I'm like I'm decent at a lot of things. I'm not excellent at almost anything. So I can almost always find somebody who's better than me at everything that I'm good at. Um, but there's not a lot of things that I'm just absolutely won't try and get a B minus. You know, so I'm pretty. Um, fearless in that. So it's been kind of hard to always like know what I'm good at because I'll always try things. 
So I was uh, I was leading a division at um, a trading firm here in Chicago. And so we're setting kind of like macro strategy for these community banks across the U.S. And our team was great. We had a lot of really, really smart, really good people at the company. Um, we'd grown from, I think I was employee number maybe 60, and we grew to about 350 people in the time that I was there. Um, and so that's a lot of growth, both in people. Um, also, we, we grew in products as well. So we were providing a lot more products in that time. And I think um, I had gone to business school um, at Northwestern here in town um, from about 2015 to 2018. And I did study finance again, um, just because it was kind of like in my sweet spot of things that I had always done. But I also just leaned into organizational psychology and strategy. And I was trying to learn um, how do I be a good manager? I think this was like kind of the onset of people my age. So I'm an elder millennial. I turned 40 this year. Um, so we like, kind of noticed the things that were broken about work, but we didn't, we weren't really brave enough to try to challenge anything until mm. people a little bit younger than us, I think came along and we're like, we're not doing it that way anymore. And so I think that time for me was the time when people were like, wow, this relationship that we have with work is really toxic. And like the way that we organize our teams or like the way that we hire and fire people and all these like really hard organizational things, um, it's really hard to get those things right. And so. I wanted to make sure in a team that had really talented people, we had really strong traders. I was never going to be a really, really good trader. I was an okay analyst, but I was much better at leading the team of analysts than I was at being the analyst. And so hmm. like looking out at these really, really smart people, I'm like, well, how do I make sure that I'm a good manager and I'm a good leader for all of these people? And so that's why I had gone back to um, business school and was really leaning into some of the more like organizational psychology things. And then I think, you know, we were going through changing a lot at the company um, because we needed to. We'd grown a lot and it was time yeah. to kind of make sure like we had people kind of aligned to the strategy that we were pursuing at that time. And just seeing how hard that was of a puzzle to solve for really good, really smart people. And so I think coming to into 2019, I was realizing that like, wow, I'm actually way better at this than I am at running this team of analysts. And there's actually people who are on my team that are actually probably better than me at doing some of those things. And so um, in 2019, I ended up going out on my own, founding on center, like pretty much right away. Um, and initially I was like, I just want to help people. You know, I just want to find people who are trying to do really hard things and saddle up with them and see if we can um, get that done. So my first client um, was a company called the Humanity Share uh, based out of Kenya. And so they were doing uh, clean water projects and also uh, girls education and kind of uh, sustainable agriculture uh, for this like rural community in Kajiado County, Kenya. And so I flew to Kenya with them. We went up to oh, Ethiopia, wow. one of their other communities. And so another like really smart, really good people. And I said, well, I can help you with this organizational piece. And they really wanted it. And so that was where we kind of tested everything and said, holy cow, this is really good. Um, we need to do this with more people. And so we've kind of grown since then. Wow. And so, you know, one of the, one of the pieces of that, I always love to break down because I think everyone's story of starting something is totally different for, for you having the career you did and in, in finding that interest that you, that itch you wanted to go after, were you able to do that while you kept your job and kind of do it as a side hustle? Or did you just have to kind of go all in and you quit your job and you, and you were like, I'm just going to figure this out. How did you do that? Yeah, I probably should have. Um, that would have been the smart way to do it. So if I were advising somebody else, I would probably say to do that. But I think we had our hands full. Um, we were pretty lean as a company, um, I think. And 
So I would have felt like I kind of had this like other outside business activity that I was doing that um, would have been uh, kind of taking away from my time. I mean, like I was, I mean, I would have, you know, email conversations with my boss between midnight and 2 a.m. You know, like there was yeah. no way that I was going to be doing kind of a separate thing at the same time, but that is a good way to do it. Um, so yeah, we had kind of arrived um, at the end of the day, like it wasn't my decision to leave. So we had kind of like gotten through part of the restructure. I'd helped with part of that process and then um, I moved on. So it wasn't like I just kind of like bonsai went out into the next thing. Um, so I kind of had to find what the next thing was, um, but it fell right into it. So Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And for, and for you, give everyone kind of an, a background in, into like how that felt. I always think it's interesting, you know, I, I know, I don't know how much you know, but like me and Paul have talked, the business that me and my co-founder created, you know, it's a service business as well. And I think one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about is I really haven't had a lot of service businesses on the podcast. Like most have been CPG, it's product focused, it's, it's getting retail distribution. It's kind of the same game that, you know, we all dealt with when we were at our X bar. So for you, what was that like? Cause service businesses are just for people listening are just totally different, right? I mean, you, you have a service, you're trying to get clients, you're trying to do really good work, keep clients and, and really like help them, right? At the end of the day, that's what you're there to do. You're there as a, a support function and really to make their lives easier is the way I always explain it for you. As you set out, um, how did you think about what on center could be? I mean, now you're fast forwarding four years from, from that point, when you first set out to do it, were you like, let's just see if I can get a couple clients. Let's see if this thing really has some legs. Like what were some of those early days and feelings? Cause it's a, I know from personal experience, it's a scary feeling when you're, you're kind of putting yourself out there and like, I think I have a skill I can really help someone with, but I don't have any, I don't have any clients yet. You know, I don't have any, no revenue coming in. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think there were, there's probably two things that I had learned um, in my previous role that I think are probably countercultural to how people kind of solve problems today. Um, so I'm grateful to have really learned these things um, over the 13 years that I was at my previous company because I was able to take these forward and kind of lay, use these principles as part of the foundation. So the first one is asking the question, I wonder if that's true. Um, so everyone around me will credit me today with having come up with that, which mm. I'm just stealing from people who are smarter than me. Um, but basically, it's this idea like, we do a lot of work overseas. We have an investment portfolio in 16 countries. That was the thing I haven't told you about yet. Um, and so we're kind of like reinventing investing um, in, in the frontier and emerging markets. We're advising on this like kind of combination of strategy and human-centered design that like nobody else does. And where that came from is we said, well, here's the way people are doing it. And everyone says, this is how you're supposed to do it. I wonder if that's true. And mm. so it's simply taking the time to inspect all of the underlying assumptions that go into this is the way we do things. It's not saying the way that we're doing it is wrong, but it might be. And so like, let's actually go back and test and make sure that the assumptions we're making along the way are leading to the right approach. And so I knew that because of the way that I had learned it over the course of 13 years, I could pull things apart and put them back together in a way that I knew that we were always utilizing the best information and frameworks available to deliver the product or service that we were delivering. So that was the first thing. It's like this like inherent intellectual curiosity to like always be testing and to like never think our baby is too pretty. I mean, like that's kind of the thing with startup mentality too. Right. It's, like, it's really hard. You are afraid to kill the baby. Like we've burnt this place down three times and rebuilt it because we're like, if there's something that challenges our assumption, we have to go back and make sure. So that was one thing is I kind of like could lean on that as a methodology. And then 
I think the other piece was um, sort of this like unlocking a different kind of economy. And so, <clears throat> and I'll go to like a business school principle. So Porter's Five Forces is a business school principle for where like you're sitting in the middle and kind of like all of the people that you interact with from your business are on the outside. So it's like your suppliers, um, that's one force, your clients, um, and it could be, you know, distributors, other people along the way, partners. And the whole principle is about how you analyze the power that you have in that relationship so that you can exploit it to improve your competitive advantage for yourself. So what we said, and this was what we did um, at my old company, is we would say, actually, what is the best way to serve our client for the long term? And we're going to have these awesome, loyal relationships for a really, really long time. And we'll actually sacrifice revenue today for both of us to win long term. And so that was just a wholly different thing than you kind of see. And there's surely other people who do it, but most of the time you see the people who are like, I'm trying to earn as much revenue as I can for my earnings call at the end of this quarter. Sure. Um, yeah. And so I think that those two mentalities were really a part of like how we shaped the DNA of this company from the beginning. And then I would say, as we were building to your point, I didn't want to be alone. So that's probably my worst nightmare would be like trying to build a company by myself. And so like those first few people that you bring in are everything. And so I had found um, a friend of mine I had met in 2015, Jen. Um, so Jen Giacchino, um, I had asked her to come on as my advisor because she had grown and scaled a nonprofit to 20 cities and three countries, including Kenya and Indonesia. And so I was like, this woman knows how to scale a business. Yeah. She knows how to do it in a really lean way. And she knows how to build teams. And she knows, like, I didn't even know how to set up an LLC, you know? So uh, so I brought her on actually as my advisor. She thankfully agreed. And then throughout the pandemic, she and her team ended up selling their curriculum to MIT and closing down the nonprofit. And MIT still runs their curriculum in, in women's prisons. And she was like, hey, can I do what you're doing with you? Oh, I'm wow. Like, I would love if you would do, yeah, yeah, do yeah. that's why I bought you. And I didn't know that I'd ever be able to get you. But um, so that like just kind of happened. But I think that initial like having that corpus of a team and I would say all five people on our team, like are people that I've like had my eye on like throughout my career. Like I would love to work with that person someday. Oh, that's cool. And just have like been fortunate to have those people come at the right point to build the team. No, that's cool. I mean, I I think that's probably not a super common way people build teams, but it's a really awesome way if you can pull that off, right? Like if you if you kind of identify all stars and you're like someday because we kind of do the same thing. Like a lot of the industries that we probably all all transact in are a lot smaller than you'd believe. So you always you always can see yeah. like the hardworking people in the room type of thing. You're like, that's a good person to be have on my team, hopefully yeah. someday. I love that. Well, and they got to be right for the role, right? So right. it can't just be like, they're on the market and you're like, oh man, I really like you could stretch maybe a person, but if you get somebody who's really, really good, but it's not a thing you need, then they're going to be banging their head against the wall, trying to give you the thing that you don't want or need. Sure. So like, um, it can't just a good be point. adding for the sake of adding, um, because they're good. They actually do have to have the right fit too, but, um, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and so you, so you get your first client and it's an international client. How, how do you, how are you getting international clients? Was this something from your past roles that you like new folks in the, in those areas or how did you make those connections? Yeah. So I might've fibbed a little bit because we got a client, but they didn't pay us. So oh, okay. I was yeah, like, I got to test this and see if this is any good. 
Um, and it had just so happened that I had a friend who had been on the board of a nonprofit for a little over 10 years and it had started as like a project and it was just a project. Some um, women from the US had happened to be in Kenya in this village um, met some of the village leaders and they were like, here's a thing we need. We need to drill a hole to get some water. And they were like, let's see if we can go raise some money from it for it. And so it just started as this one thing and it, it expanded into this whole kind of holistic model um, and they're awesome. And so they had grown um, to the point where they were raising real money, they were building programs. And my friend Kate, um, who was an architect, left her job as an architect to become the second executive director of this company. Oh, wow. And so she knew that I was starting this thing. And so she was like, hey, like, I'd like, and again, Kate, really smart person, right? She's an architect. And she was just like, I've never set a strategy before. And like, surely she'll be good at it. She just needs to know what the framework is, right? And so um, it was a perfect match to come alongside um, them. And so, yeah, so they, I think they paid for my flights and my food um, and maybe a couple of beers. And uh, that was, that was enough for me to be able to test it all out. Wow. That's really wild. And then for someone like that, like what, when, uh, when, when these companies are, are approaching you or you're finding them as a client, like what, what is the on center? Like what's your big, I don't want to call it a pitch cause it's really not a pitch. It's like a value prop that you're bringing to them. Like what, what is the, the problem you're solving and, and specifically like the solution you walk away with just to give everyone that's listening a little bit of an understanding of like what one of these relationships that you guys are building looks like. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we're like solving how things work. Right. So they're trying to solve a problem. They're trying to deliver a product to a market or a service to a market. And for whatever reason, um, they're either trying to change something or they're looking out at like how everything is organized. It's just not working or it's causing friction. And so the way that we look at it is we don't look at anything in a silo, but we look at strategy, organization, and operations. So I think that probably is a differentiator for us from the beginning, because there's a lot of firms out there that will say like, oh, we'll come help you on strategy for a weekend, you know, and then we'll do like a facilitation. We'll spend two days with them and boop, here's everything that was in your brain. We organized it on a piece of paper for you. Um, you'll pay us $15,000, $20,000 and we all go about our merry way. Got so it. what we said was there's, there's a bunch of problems with that. One. Most of the time, when you set a strategy that way, you get really unhappy because it probably sits in a drawer and you don't do anything with it. Um, and that's for one of any number of reasons. One, you didn't include enough people's perspectives. Um, so you're usually going to do like an executive offsite. You're only going to include your executive leaders and you're not including the people who talk to your clients. Mm -hmm. um, or, wow, this might be crazy. What if we talk to your clients? And what if we actually involve them in the process, which they love, your best clients love that. Um, and so oh, they like actually that. get to be yeah. a part of like, oh man, they want to hear my opinion on how I'm interacting with this. And so, and usually they give you glowing reviews, but we'll dig in there and find out like kind of what's going on. Um, the other reason is like, there's usually organizational problems. So um, a lot of times it's not just a new strategy that is preventing a strategy from taking place. If there's been multiple strategies in a row that didn't get executed well, there's probably a people, uh, structure, leadership, um, uh, culture or kind of like how people interact with change. Like one of those five things are probably one of the things that are actually preventing your strategy from taking place. So we kind of identify all of the touch points that come between like a person on a team and a goal. Um, hmm. How are they interacting with that goal? Do they know the goal exists? A lot of times, like 
teams don't even know what the strategy is. So I think managers, we can forget um, as leaders and managers that we have to rinse and repeat and repeat and repeat what we're doing and why. And it just kind of falls and people get stuck in the day to day and they forget that the strategy is out there. So sure, what we do is we spend way longer um, and way deeper on really uncovering like what is working, what's not working with the teams, what is the strategy that we're going after. Um, a thing that I think teams really forget about is like my ability. So there's like, there's always a gap kind of between our stated culture as an organization and what we actually do when we're in the office. Our company has a gap, your company has a gap, we all have a gap, but it's just how big is that gap? Because that gap is actually one of the primary drivers of somebody's happiness or engagement in the workplace. So hmm. it's how much do I understand and relate to the goals that we're going after? How much do I believe that the rest of my team is aligned with and pursuing those goals? And how much do I believe the people that are holding me accountable are aligned with and measuring our performance based on reaching those goals? That gap is usually between like, here's our vision and, you know, we're excellent and we have integrity, and we, you know, whatever our kind of like values are and what we actually do when we come in every day. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking for and we're helping people navigate along the way of pursuing this change because especially if their strategy is different, like what happens if you have the wrong team for that strategy? Or like what happens if you've been pursuing this strategy for a hundred years and your teams were supposed to be, you know, don't risk anything, you know, this is the golden goose, make sure everything runs properly, get a good profit margin, keep costs low. And now you're asking them to invent a new product. Well, if they're inventing a new product, they might need to take risks. They're going to need to be entrepreneurial. Like, sure. Yeah. Those those might be the same people, but you have to unlock those mindsets, or they might be different people. And what does that mean? So I know you asked for more of an elevator pitch, but I gave no, you that's long great. Version. I mean, those that makes a lot of, of sense. That we're doing, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, it's funny, and I and I, you would be the person that would know this, but again, just to give everyone some anecdotal experience, you know, being at our X bar, and I'm sure you've heard stories from Paul. We kind of went through that growth stage that sounds like you went through. Like when I joined, I think I was number sixty. And then by the time I left, at one point we had two, almost two fifty, I believe. And you know, we're selling protein bars. So there's that means like all these teams that were super thin and lean became big teams. And I remember even there the challenge of, okay, this is our macro, this is where we're heading as a as an organization, as a group, as a team. And then how that even dwindles down to functions and then like, okay, what's Shane responsible for? And like how does he help build that? Like it's complicated. And then before that, I was at like Fortune 10 company. I worked at two four. I worked at Walmart.com, and before that, I was at like an engine manufacturer, which is a Fortune 100 company. And then thinking back to my days there, I'm like, they tried, but oh my god, we were, no way were we all on the same page. No way. Right. It's just there's so many people, and there's we were all in our own little silos. Um, so just right. to give like two totally different scenarios of how hard that is as you grow, I can totally right. see where you guys kind of come in and. Ha so that makes sense to me. Like, I, and I've lived through that and can see where there's a lot of value in what you build. How do you, it seems like there's a million different organizations that you guys probably work with, which is an awesome business opportunity for you guys. How do you, um, how do you even go through the motions of, of like vetting people and bringing on a client? Cause it seems like from what I'm hearing, hearing from you guys, like what you don't do is what a lot of consultants would do, which is like, they come in, like you said, for a couple of days, they kind of rinse, repeat a process and they leave and they go to the next one. It sounds like you guys are much more involved. You're like embedded in the organization for a while. So I'm assuming, yep. and correct me if I'm speaking out of turn, but you guys must like vet and really like, really take your time picking clients before you just jump in. Cause it seems like you guys invest a lot of energy 
into each and every one. Yeah. And I think like we're still new, right? Too. So we're like turning four. And so we want everyone to be a raving fan of what we're doing. So like we've said no to people before. And it's not because um, they couldn't have been a good fit, but it might have been like, I don't know that they're actually going to use this or they're going to be ready. Um, and I want them to actually like get the result that we're trying to provide. Um, I will say I trust my sales team. So Paul and Ben, like they live and breathe this all day, every day. And I get to kind of like pop in and out of it. Um, but it really is like our clients have to really want something different and more robust and they have to be serious about it. And so we'll spend probably about 550 hours as a team on their strategy. And they'll have some people that will spend maybe 20 to 30 over the course of three months. So they're not spending nearly as much time as we are, but we have to make sure that their teams are engaged along the way. Right. 20 to 30 hours is a lot more than, you know, 10 hours on a Saturday. Um, so that's a bigger commitment. Now that's spread out over time. So where does that come from? I've gone to so many workshops in my life as a, as either as an individual or as a member of a team and almost 10 out of 10 times, you go back and like you remember it for a few days and then you kind of just like fall back into whatever other patterns you had. Sure. So like there is time that it takes to establish these new disciplines. And there's also time that it takes for like these things to be revealed. And so in the selection process, it almost is like, um, I didn't really think about this until getting on this call, but maybe we'll have to start using this is it's almost like I'm an Enneagram eight, I'm an ENTJ it's almost like that personality that we're looking for. Not that we're looking for Enneagram 8s. That'd be crazy. There's too, probably too many of us already. But like, um, we're looking for the personality of a company as much as we're looking for like what the company is doing. Um, and we want like, we want to work on things that are crazy and hard. Mm, so okay. we're looking for, and it could be crazy and hard because no one's ever done it before. Or it could be crazy and hard because this organization is changing in a crazy and hard way. And we know that like, that's one of our strengths is being able to walk with people through things that are rocky and hard and not tell them like, this is going to be super easy. Don't worry about it. But actually say like, it's going to be hard, but we're going to be there. And so that is a different mentality for a team to be like, okay, we're going to do this hard thing. I think for us, we probably would be less excited to work with like a manufacturing company that's been around for 50 years. And they're just going to like, they're trying to cut cost cut costs for the next like three to five years. We'd say like, that's super good. You can find a consultant that will help you do that. Sure. But we want to do things that, like, it's like, it's kind of selfish in a way, but like, we want to work on exciting stuff. Like I get out of bed to like, come work on really hard things. People trying to like, some of our clients are in like 30 countries, you know, like that's hard. There's intercultural things you have to have to like navigate there. Like that's the kind of stuff we really want to do. No, so, I love that. I think, I, lo yeah. I think we need more of that. I mean, I, I know uh, not to bring up what, what I do, but I mean, like we, we do the same thing. Like we, we vet yeah. the, the brands we want to work with really, really hard because we want to be excited with everyone we work with. And like, I work with a lot of CPG brands, as I mentioned. So like, I want to only work with brands that you'd see me walking around and eating and drinking, right? Like if, if I don't put it in my body, cause I don't like the food and trust the food. I don't want to be behind it selling it, right? Like it's just, I don't, after working at RX and kind of like drinking that Kool-Aid, you, you can see when you run any type of business and you're actually really fired up with who you work with and what you do, it's a totally different feeling every morning. And I, and I, I feel that same thing. It sounds like you're feeling. So I give you a lot of credit because it's easy probably to chase some of the other ones that maybe, you know, have deeper pockets, but they're not exciting projects to work on, right? Like that's, yeah. that's always going to be there. Yeah, 100%. Very exciting. So for you guys, you just turned four. What does 
the next, you know, I always say like one, three, five, like, do you guys have some, some North star visions where you're trying to build on center or do you like where you're at? Like wh where, where do you feel like you're heading? Yeah. So we have like a few different, we call them gates. So like when we hit certain like revenue gates, then that means like we can start dreaming about specific things. Okay. And so like we've set these like visions for like, when we get to this gate, then we can, these are the dreams that we've said we want to explore. But right now, like you can't think about that dream because you have to think about the things that are going to get us to this gate. So I think a couple things. Um, one, we don't want to be a team of five. Um, we would love to be, you know, three to five years from now, a team of 20, you know? So like we do want to scale rapidly. So we're overweight, I would say in sales capacity right now. So we have three consultants and two salespeople. So mm -hmm. we could probably get to 10 and still have two salespeople, right? We could probably get to 15 and probably still have two salespeople. So we're like kind of loading the funnel right now because we want to shoot fast and start building teams of consultants um, that we can grow to be delivering this methodology alongside of us. So we've kind of like ironed out the methodology over the last four years. And now we're like really happy with it to a point where we would say like, we actually want to scale this methodology. People want it, love it, need it. And we can train other people to do it. So that's one thing. I think it's about like kind of scaling our team and scaling our impact. And then I think, um, I think it's also, um, I think it's also around like the types of clients. Like, I don't know if you guys have experienced this too, but early on, like we didn't know we were gun shy. Like, I think we were like, I don't know if like these people would buy from us, you know? So like, sure. yeah, we stepped into it. Like a little bit of I imposter think, syndrome, maybe a little bit. Just new. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so that keeps you from like a higher revenue bucket as well. And we haven't had a single client that we weren't able to deliver. And so like, as we've gone up the stack to bigger and bigger and bigger, um, we don't ever want to forget about the small fry because like, those are the people that we think like, you know, getting a, so we work with for profits and nonprofits, getting a nonprofit to a million dollars is really hard. Getting a business to a million dollars is really hard. And so like, we love that segment and we know that they probably can't afford us. So we have ways of reaching down and making sure that we're like able to kind of like bring those people along also, but we want to do that by working with some of the big boys that we know we can do that. And so that's where sure. we've kind of grown into that segment over the last probably year or so where before we were kind of gun shy um, to kind of get into that. So I think that that's kind of our next goal is like um, really being more sustainable. Um, so it doesn't sound as exciting, but I think no, also like, great though. we're just always change, growing and changing methodologies and extending from kind of um, starting with strategy, moving into organizational design. And really now we're in more like transformation and change. So very cool. No, I love that. I mean, it's always evolving, right? Like I think that's the cool thing about starting and building a business is like what you start with and where you maybe will end in the future. You probably will not, you would have never been able to imagine where you're heading, which I think is so exciting. I know for me, it's like 100%. every day is different. It's always changing. Every week's new. Um, Derek, I love asking these questions as we're, as we're winding down with a few more minutes. Um, the first one, this question, I would love to know, cause now you're start, you like, you've been running a business, you're building a business. So you have a lot of plates you're spinning and holding and trying to keep moving in the right direction. What tools do you use to, and I love you talking about like getting the organization and helping organizations all get on the same wavelength of like what they're building towards. So I'm assuming you personally probably have some tools that help you do this. So what tools do you use to not only like plan what your, you know, macro goals are, maybe your yearly goals, but then all the way down to like, what's the stuff Derek's getting done today? 
are you a pen and paper guy? Do you use planners? Do you have apps? Like what, what is Derek using on a daily basis to keep growing on center and, and, and just evolving as, as a person? I am super not fancy here. Um, what, but so here's my challenge because I work in so many different geographies, there's like your preferred communication method for everything. So like I have working internationally, people use WhatsApp for work. Oh, sure. Right. So it's like, I almost have all of these communication channels that I have. A, I do actually have a really hard time kind of funneling them all until like kind of figuring them out. But I love a paper list. Um, I think part of that is just because like I get to cross it off and I feel like I accomplished something. Um, I try to be really diligent about my email. Um, so I archive, archive, archive right away. Um, I have, there is no spam that comes into almost any of my emails. So like I keep that all like really, really clean. Um, so I don't have any productivity tools. I also like try to reject that I need to be productive all the time. Oh, okay. Um, that's good. That's I'm actually probably a good one. I'm not that good at it. I'm not that good at it, but that's what I try. I mean, I was up at, I told you I was up at three yeah. this morning. So, <laughs> um, I think I actually like, I could probably learn from listening to the last five minutes of your show. <laughs> I really just should like clip a bunch of them. 10. That'd be cool to clip a bunch of them just to see what everyone answers that question. Yeah. yeah. What are all the tools that everyone's well, using? Well, it's funny, but, Derek. Yeah. Most people I ask that question to are have the ex almost the exact same response you gave, which is like, really? okay. again, it's like they almost like self-deprecate a little bit on like, I don't do anything fancy. I like, it's funny though. I think a lot of people are that are creative and are trying to build things. It's the same thing. Like they're not following this, just this, this like, perfectly planned out game plan because that's not what their life looks like because they're running a business that's unpredictable and it's changing constantly you know what i mean it's also like i have salespeople too right so if i miss an email like they'll email me again you know okay. like sure you know like we'll figure it out so i like i prioritize certain people yeah um, and make sure that i'm always making sure that i'm responding to the, like the things that are like related to current deliverables but yeah no i paul thinks i need superhuman but we'll find out I've heard that one a bunch. Um, I, I always share it because I've been using it for so long now. I do I do blame it for like at least hitting goals. I've been using this thing called a full focus planner. I don't know if you can really see it. Oh. Full focus planner. Um, again, it's not rocket science. Literally, it's it's it lasts. It's, it's like got a single page for every day of every. So it's like you need a new notebook every quarter. But in the very front, there's up you put like your 10 annual goals. And I think what really helps me is every week, there's like a check-in process that it kind of like prompts you through. And you set up what's called like a big three for the week. So it's like, okay, look at your goals. What are like three things that if you got done, if these big three things happen this week, you took a step towards at least some of your goals that are on the first page. And then every day it's got a big three for the day. And so for my brain, it's like when there's, we have multiple clients and there's family stuff and health stuff I'm trying to achieve, you know, it, it really helps you kind of boil down like, okay, if I at least get this stuff done, I'm making progress versus just being busy. Yeah. I'll show you, this is like what my calendar looks like. I hope people can probably see that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So like, there's, a, that's not, I don't put a lot of like, hold this time other than I knew I needed to get a haircut before I was going to be on this. So I held my time nice. before, there this, you go. before this podcast, but like, I don't get to get things done during the day. Like everyone gets to book my calendar whenever they want. If the time is open now, I obviously ask people to be respectful, but I think that that's also maybe a thing that helps me is that. I guess as the boss, like everyone owns their own meetings on my calendar. So oh. I'm not sending a lot of calendar invites to other people because they own when the thing is happening. And if they need to move it, they go find another time on my calendar and they move it to that time because I don't want to lose time with somebody being like, Hey, Derek, can you do Tuesday at four? 
just sure. like if the time is open you take it and i roll in and i go so like yeah i don't want to lose time with like logistics so like trying to push as much logistics away from myself is probably maybe that's productivity that's really smart so for you though like when you have tangible things and did you just get it done when there's openings and or at night or morning or how do you actually get stuff done because I, I feel like sometimes that can turn into like so many things being booked back to back to back that also need to end the day and you're like i've gotten I'm, I'm going to be working all night. <laughs> yeah, Shane, this Labor Day weekend was the first weekend I didn't work most of the weekend. I only worked 10 hours over Labor Day weekend. Good for you. So, you know, that's how <laughs> yeah, I get no, the Labor Bowls done. Got yeah. it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny. I tell my wife this all the time because, like, I, you know, I, I have a little one at home and I'm married. So, like, trying to balance all that is tough. I, I lean on my planner and I've really gotten into time blocking again. Um, a fun one for people listening. Uh, Rob Deerdeck, which is a guy I never knew was all about like optimization until recently. Cause like a guy that I went, a guy that I worked with at RX bar, he's now his CMO. And I actually had him on the podcast recently. It's Come not on. out yet. And, but if you listen to Rob Deerdeck's podcast, he does like one a week. He talks about like time blocking and he's got like a tracker mm -hmm. that every day he updates with going back and looking at his calendar yesterday. And it's like an Excel sheet. I can actually send it to you, Derek. Cause I like re I recreated it. And I've been using it and it's really eye-opening because you start to see like, okay, this is how much time I put towards what I'm working on. This is how much time family, friends, leisure. And like, if that aligns with what I'm, what I wanted to achieve, great. There's been some weeks where I'm like, I said yes to way too many things that really mm -hmm. don't fit into like my priorities right now. It's funny. Yep. Uh, there, I mean, there's a million different ways to be productive, but I actually like what I you're saying. Like, don't, because I'm one of those people that I, I definitely stress myself out if I don't feel like I was productive enough. And that's probably not a good, healthy, long-term thing, right? Because so I have a different one. It's not productivity, but I had to decide because one of the things I believe about myself is that I'm reliable to other oh, people, okay. yeah. which probably isn't true, but it's a thing that I like to believe. It's, and so, you know, it's funny you say that. That's something I, I feel like I am, but I know there are things that slip through. So I'm, I, I, at the end of the day, it's so funny you brought that up. I feel like I, the reason I'm always trying to be more productive is to make sure that that is like a check mark when people think of me. I've never said that out loud, but it's honestly, it's something I think about every day. Yeah. And it's like, what do I think? Like, do I think like if I don't get a deliverable done for somebody on time, like they're not going to love me anymore or they're going to quit or sure. whatever. Like, so going into this year, I'm like, I need to get comfortable, like micro letting people down a little bit more. Interesting. Like, I need to just be okay with the fact that sometimes like I'm not superhuman. I need to know my limits. And if it's like the difference between me making it through this week um, and feeling like a human or like missing on a deliverable for somebody and they have to work an extra hour or two because of me, yeah, like I might just have to do that from time to time. That's a, so. that's a really good one to close out on. Cause I, I do think that's, it's a hard one, especially honestly, I think being a service-based business because at the end of the day, you're trying to promote a service, but there's also only so many hours in the day. It's a tough balance. That's a, that's a right. really, really interesting one. And no one's asking me to do it. Maybe I'll add that too. Like, oh, okay. That's even I'm different. Making, yeah. Right. It's like, no one's like, can you please serve? Like everyone's like, Derek, like have more fun. You should probably work less. Like yeah, that's I can a little do different. it. Don't work. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, I need to like, you know, sure. Yeah. My people, mind's different probably because I have definitely have people asking me for things and some things are like, they just take a lot of time. So it's like allocating enough time to get that, the kind of stuff done. Um, my thing is trying to just be more proactive. I always want to be the person that's like, Hey, if I can't get it done by this time, this is when I think I'll get it done. I'm allocated time tomorrow or this weekend or whatever it is. That's I think where my head's gone lately is like, just, I want to be the one that's letting them know if something's going to be late versus them being like, Hey, where is this? 
I hate that. Right. That's like, I feel like I've failed if someone's oh. like, I asked you for this, where is it? Like, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I'm like, oh, it's even on my list. And I, I didn't update you on, it's like, you know, or like that's you the, get the email stuff. that's like, hey, can I get the thing? And yeah, then like enough time tough. goes by that you get the email that's like, hey, about my email I sent about the thing that I haven't gotten yet. And you're like, now I've got an email about an email about a thing. About an email. Yeah, you want to avoid yeah. those. That's what's keeping, yeah. the, keeping the inbox clean is all about. Um, that's right. Just, yeah. Right. The, the last question, Derek, is just source of knowledge. So a book, a podcast, an article you've read lately, does anything pop out right away in your mind that you'd love to share with the audience today? Yeah, the Shane White podcast. Um, oh, yeah, thank you. Addition, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> this one, you probably get this one a lot. I love the um, the Knowledge Project. You know, um, Someone has said that before. I've never listened to it, though. Oh, so good. Um, and it's like all about highlighting um like people who have accomplished things like what got to the heart of like how that all happened and okay um so it's it's similar in the ways that like you try to unpack some of like those pieces so um, that's a really good one by um, shane Parrish, and then um uh hidden brain by shankar vedantin um which is like kind of all about like unpacking like kind of the psychology that underlies um a lot of the parts of like everyday life and different kinds of things so like again oh, cool. me being like a like trying to get in and like understand like how people and teams come up with ideas and then make those ideas actually work. Like a lot of that is really human. And so that kind of like helps me just like always stay in that rhythm of like, this problem isn't a problem because of something on paper. It's a problem because we're people. And so yeah, um, that one's a really good one for me for that. So love that. That's a really good one. Um, Last and most important question, if people want to get a hold of you, get a hold of On Center, or just follow along in your guys' journey, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you probably noticed we are all over LinkedIn. We love LinkedIn as a team. So definitely find us um, like LinkedIn slash in slash Derek Kesson, just like my name, D-E-R-E-K-K-E-S-S-E-N. And I'll add these um, links to the connect, show notes yeah, too. Connect with us, connect with us there because like that's the best way to get in touch with either me or other people on the team. Um, and we love connecting with anybody like we're in this whole work thing, startup thing with, with you guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'd love to love to connect with folks. So bring love it. it. Well, awesome, yeah. Derek. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. It was a pleasure meeting you and a pleasure hearing more about your story and, um, we'll stay in yeah, touch. Thank you so much for having me.